I want to take a minute and uh, share with you, uh, Pastor Armando wanted to uh, send uh, his greetings, uh, the pastor that is helping us church, uh, plant the, the uh, Hispanic church here at New Song, and uh, give just a short explanation. He wanted to apologize that we had to set off, but they're having their district council, so all the, the ministers from the Hispanic district of Arkansas uh, with the Assemblies of God are having their district council, and he had one of his staff pastors set up to do the service today, and they had a family emergency. So it was out of necessity for that. He, he wanted to be here as well. So he said, hey, uh, with next week being Father's Day, let's just, let's just set it out a little bit. And um, uh, so uh, if you were planning to come, even, even if you don't understand Spanish, it's okay. I've been in services when I didn't understand Spanish, and I still was able to praise God um, because the Spirit of the Lord, I have felt it moving among their people. And so... Uh, when we do that service, you are welcome to come. In fact, I encourage you, especially first few services, if you can, to be there. Uh, definitely would encourage them. Um, also, I want to just mention that uh, I've done some praying about some uh, leadership needs uh, in our ministry areas here. And I uh, would like uh, some of you to pray that if we do not have the folks for what I'm getting ready to mention, that God would send them and send the right people. But uh, Nathaniel Colt has served us in so many capacities and in the sound booth he's also on the advisory team but I, I have a specific need that I need to reassign uh, Nathan and he actually after several times of uh, twisting his arm really hard he, he went in the sound booth um, no he, he, he went willingly but um, he was doing it to fill a spot temporarily and it's turned into lo- uh, longer than that and so uh, we need someone that uh, has had experience uh, running sound. Uh, the worship team is actually trying to eventually expand, and if God will quit sending folks away like Dustin, uh, we can maybe expand and move to, to two worship teams for the, both services. But uh, in all seriousness, we, need, um, we, we desperately need to be able to make that move as soon as God provides a person who has some experience run sound. It, it's going to have to take someone who is dedicated to be here because right now Nathan is doing two morning services, Wednesday night service, college and career service on Sunday evenings. Um, and then with a Hispanic service starting, I'm going to have to get a little training, I guess, myself because they also need someone to run sound initially until I get something. So uh, we need that person to just have a high level of commitment to come in and say, look, I, I see what God's doing here, and I'm willing to sacrifice that time uh, to see that worship goes forward. So will you pray with me on that? Uh, we've also uh, talked about making a little shift as far as Jen has been involved with um, kind of the overseeing the women's ministry. Um, I'm not going to get too muddled in this. I'll just let you know that a lot of pastors these days, when they go in to apply for a position, they say, just so you know, my wife is not an employee. And I could go into all the details of why pastors do that. But, but very specifically, it's because often pastor's wives get worn out. And some of the main reasons pastors leave the ministry is because their wives can't take anymore because they get all the catch-all from everything, plus raising a family. So um, uh, Jen has always been willing to jump in and do and be my, my partner in ministry. Uh, but we are getting ready to do some things. I don't want to spoil it, because next week you're going to hear more about it. But we're getting ready to do some uh, significant things and missions, and I need her help. She used to work in the Assemblies God headquarters in the missions department. Uh, she has a passion for missions. Um, we both have missionaries in our family, and I need Jen's full attention. Anything she does for the church to be turned towards that project. So we are, um, we have already talked to someone about kind of taking that, that role where Jen has had with overseeing the ladies ministry and 
So that person's praying, but we just need to pray that God leads and, and guides that. Um, and there's several others. Just know that if you are not plugged in in some area of ministry, a new song, and you are here and you feel like this is your home, then 100% guaranteed, and I've preached sermons on this, God has gifted you in an area that we need. And if you haven't discovered it yet, we need to pray with you that you do, because if you've been sitting in a pew or in a chair and not been using that gift, then, then the church is missing out, you're missing out, and those who need to hear the gospel are missing out. We need to get the entire body of believers engaged in ministry at New Song. We're at a vital point. We're moving towards a new building where we're going to have an influx of people coming in. I know we are. And we need to be prepared to minister to them, not only even those that accept Christ then, but then disciple them. And I'm going to talk a little more about this in the message this morning, but be praying with me for that purpose that we are, are needing to expand in our ministry areas. Next week, I'm excited, besides Father's Day, our whole message will be on heritage. Um, there's some tie-in that came about short notice to me and the message today for next week, but the next week's whole theme will be on heritage. And we'll be launching a new initiative that is going to be vital to the blessings that are to come to new songs. So don't miss next week if you're here for Father's Day. Um, I want to get into the message today, uh, which has come very quickly to me. I'll just say that. <laughs> and um, I'll just tell you in a minute how that happened. But I want you to turn to the book of Haggai, chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. Those of you with Bible phone apps, don't you love that? Because uh, you kind of don't have to know where it's located, just how to spell it. So H-A-G-G-A-I. <laughs> chapter 2, verses one, first nine verses. If we're honest, there are times in life we want to just give up. This is especially true concerning the ministry. It is a common joke among ministers that they quit. They, they write out their resignation letter every Monday, and then by Friday they're excited about the next sermon. That is actually very typical, and it's not actually a joke. It happens quite a bit. But we are not simply fighting stress or discouragement and exhaustion. We're fighting an uh, adversary. We're fighting Satan, who is walking around like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. Let me level set with you right now. If you ever find your spot in, in this church or any other church, if you've got a Bible-believing pastor who tries his hardest to hear from God and to let God lead him, and his heart is following after Christ, then if you ever have a difference with that pastor, know that he is never looking at you as the adversary. He is never looking at you. He or she is never looking at you as someone who is against you, but merely if there is a difference of opinion, if there is a difference in, in, in uh, ministry, if there's any unsettled differences, is if his heart is in the right place, it is that the enemy is trying to get a foothold. Doesn't matter right or wrong, who's right or wrong, but the enemy is trying to get a foothold between you and that minister. And this is not just a case for pastors. Quitting is a temptation for each and every person who serves the Lord in any capacity. The very interesting thing about how God works, and, and I, I might be at risk of jumping around here a little bit in my message because this morning itself and how it started uh, is what brought about the message. But God 
really remind when Pastor Mondo was here, he made reference to my short, very, very short time in service in the Navy and something I attempted to, to accomplish and failed at. And um, I take that with a lot of reference cause, reverence because there's a lot of guys who have sacrificed, the ultimate sacrifice, to, to accomplish uh, the thing that I tried and could not do. But it reminded me of a mindset and an ethos among those men that I wanted to be a part of, and that's we never quit. That we never quit. There's a saying that they, that they like to say is, I can't afford the luxury of a quitter. I can't afford the luxury of a quitter because you can't be in a foxhole, you can't be neck deep in mud, cold, hungry, tired, sleep deprived, and being shot at and have a guy next to you that says, you know what, I can't do this, I need to go home. Many of the giants in church history faced great difficulty and were often tempted to give up and walk away from their calling. An example of this is found in the diary of John Wesley. If you're familiar with John Wesley, here's, here's some things from his diary. Sunday a.m., May 5th, preached in St. Anne's, was asked not to come back anymore. Sunday p.m., May 5th, preached in St. John's, deacon said, get out and stay out. Sunday a.m., May 12th, he's on a track record here, isn't he? May 12th, preached in St. Jude's, can't go back there either. Sunday a.m., May 19th, preached in St. Somebody Else's. <laughs> Deacon called special meeting and said, I couldn't return. Sunday p.m., May 19th, preached on street, kicked off street. Sunday a.m., May 26th, preached in meadow, chased out of meadow as bull was turned loose during service. Sunday a.m., hey, Bob, you ever had any of those at the cowboy church? Yeah, all right. Sunday a.m., June 2nd, preached out at the edge of town, kicked off the highway. Sunday p.m., June 2nd, afternoon, preached in a pasture, 10,000 people came out to hear me. Did you get lost in the, in the, in the failures and miss that last one? Sunday p.m., June 2nd, he started May 5th. May 5th, kicked out. May 12th, May 19th, May 19th, May 26th, June 2nd. Preached at the edge of town, kicked off the highway, but p.m., June 2nd, afternoon, preached in a pasture, 10,000 people came out to hear me. After all that rejection, a lesser man would have given up, but Wesley persevered and reached many souls for Christ. See, perseverance is steadfastness in doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. That means you can't give up just because success doesn't come when you think it should or look like you think it should. Someone said, referenced perseverance as stick to And someone also said, postage stamps are getting more expensive, but at least they have one attribute that most of us could emulate. They stick to one thing until it gets there. I had a mentor at Walmart that told me, don't try to be good at a lot of things, be excellent at one thing. And when you master that, move on to the next and be excellent at that thing. But some of you may be at a point where you're ready to give up on serving the Lord. Or maybe it's not to that point yet, but you're ready to give up on growing, not because you don't want to grow, but because the trials it takes to grow are just getting too hard and wearing you out. But I hope through this message, you'll find motivation to stick to it. Sermons. Some of them are intended to encourage those who are not working for the Lord to start working. I've had those. Some are intended to encourage those 
who have quit serving the Lord to return to their area of service, and I've had those. We've endured both those type of sermons, but today's message is entirely to a different audience. And in our selected text, God has a message for those who are actively, faithfully serving him. It's a message of encouragement, of assurance, and motivation. This week, struggle with getting a message. That's not that odd, but when it gets to Saturday, the sweat starts to form across the brow. And we, we had a children's ministry thing yesterday, and I'm kind of zoned a little bit when we get there because I'm really not thinking about splash park, you know, water play with the kids. I'm thinking about, God, it is Saturday. Tomorrow is Sunday. You know what I have to do on Sunday. And I refuse to force a sermon. In fact, if, if God puts me in such a bind that I have to pull out what they call a canned sermon by ministers, that means you're using somebody else's sermon and giving them credit for it, then I at least want to be that the Holy Spirit has really led that, and I know without a shadow of a doubt that that was a message that I was supposed to preach, irregardless of whether I created or somebody else created it. And that's the truth of it. I've talked to my dad, I've talked to pastors of large churches, and all of them will say, don't you hate those Sunday mornings at 5 a.m.? And any preacher knows exactly what that means. Yes, I do. I hate them a lot. I feel like my life shortens every time I have one of those. This morning, I'd like to walk through the first nine verses of Haggai chapter 2 and examine it alongside this thought. Don't stop now. Out of humor, one time I played a mad TV excerpt of of Bob Newhart where he was a counselor. He was a, a counselor, and a lady comes in, and she has a fear of being buried in a box. And he says to her, okay, now I charge $5. I don't make change, so it's $5, but I don't make change, and, and, and that I'll, I'll solve any problem for $5. So she pays him the $5, and, and he says, okay, uh, tell me about this. And she says, I have a fear of burying, being buried in a box. And she says, he says, uh, have you ever been buried in a box? No. Has anybody ever tried to bury you in a box? No. Um, do you, do you, have you ever known anybody be buried in a box? No. Okay, okay, well, I think I've got this. He goes, I've got two words for you, and um, this seems to be uh, uh, helpful to a lot of people, but I've got two words for you, and I'm going to give those to you. And she says, okay, should I write this down? He goes, well, can if you want, but it's just two words. And so she gets ready. He says, stop it. Anybody who's asleep is awake now. Stop it. That's what he tells her. That is the, the helpful thing. But, but just as he says, stop it, we have to look at the times the enemy tries to stop us from doing what God is intending us to do and say, don't stop now. Turn to, turn to your neighbor and say, and yell it. Say, don't stop now. Uh, that wasn't yelling. One more time. <laughs> I might just send Zach around the congregation this morning. You may have to hang around the second service. We can see a transition in the people of God throughout the first chapter of this book because they have gone from being inactive and idle to working to accomplish God's plan for them. That sounds great. Okay, they're idle. Uh, We know that idle hands is a devil's playground, right? And they've gone back to being active. That sounds great. But after being delivered from the Babylonian captivity, God's people began to build luxurious homes for themselves. While they're focused on themselves, The Lord's temple lays in ruin. So modern day, it'd be like, like I just built a house. It's a lot nicer than we had one in Bella Vista. About killed myself trying to do it so cheap, but we did it. And we sit back, we're like, wow, this is nice. And then I start thinking, you know, I really wish I'd done the shower different. 
Maybe when we, and, and you know, I told Caleb the other day, as soon as you're out of the house, I have plans for your room. Half of that's going to be a bigger closet, and the other half's my study. You know, none of this coming home after college and reminiscing about the stuff hanging on your wall, that's, that's what's happening. You know, um, I'm teasing, maybe. But, <clears throat> but they start building luxurious homes for themselves, but think about it. Now, don't, don't, I'm not going to chase a rabbit here. But I'm just using this building for, I'm thankful for this building. It's a rental place, I'm thankful. I'm thankful we're at a point to build another building. But let's just think for a minute that everybody decides we're going we're gonna to stop caring what happens here at New Song because I just need a better place for myself. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. Otherwise, hopefully the Lord would have stopped me from doing it for myself. But, but these folks are letting the church go to ruin while they build beautiful homes for themselves. God punished his people for their inactivity and he confronted them and he encouraged them to consider their ways. And then on September 21st, in the second year of Dari- King Darius's reign, the people began to work to rebuild the Lord's house. And as we read through chapter 2, it seems that the people may have reached a place of discouragement. The Lord had promised Israel that if they would obey him, he would be with them. This passage here proves that God is faithful. He is with them and he recognized that they needed to be lifted up. God shows up and gives the inspiration and the motivation to keep pressing on for him. But this is not where the story ends. You see, there's times in the Christian life and in our service for the Lord when we are tempted to quit. And maybe you're at that point right now. Maybe I've frustrated you to the point you're ready to quit. Maybe, maybe the fact that it's taken us forever to get into more space and get into something that that doesn't look like an oversized double-wide mobile home. But, but there's a message in this for us today, and that message is don't stop now. A well-known televangelist used to say, it all, it's always too early to quit. One of the biggest reasons that people quit serving the Lord is discouragement, or quit serving the Lord in the way He has asked them to, or to complete a plan in their life is discouragement. And I'd like to encourage the discouraged by saying, don't be discouraged. Stop it. Stop being discouraged. Don't quit. God sees your effort. It says in verse 1, the seventh month in the one and twentieth day of the month came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai saying, speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shetil, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, and the high priest, and to the residue and to the residue of the people saying who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory and how do you see it now is it is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing see the lord knew exactly who he was working with on this temple he called out the people specifically and the lord knew who was working on the temple because he is with them in verse 13 then haggai the messenger of the lord spoke to the people with the lord's message i am with you declares the lord god perceives something among his people and then listen to his question in verse 3 he says who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory how do you see it now is it not as nothing in your eyes see the people have been working for almost a month and progress was being made and perhaps they were disheartened because in their eyes it was much smaller. In fact, when the foundation was laid, there was a contrast in the people's responses 
to this phase of completion. You know, I've had this same knee-jerk reaction when we started the building plans for our, our new worship center, and we're looking at what we can afford, and we can't afford much more than what we got here in today's standards of building. At $100 to $110 a square foot, we're in 3,900 square feet. That's $390,000. That's, that's more payment a month than we're making on rent. So when I look at that by today's standards, I'm like, how can we afford another building? I mean, that's pretty depressing. We're already over capacity, but how can we afford that? Well, in God's economy, there are ways. Uh, national average is about 20% of the church, if that's on the high end, actually tithe. That follow the biblical principle of tithing. And if you do the numbers, most churches would never have to raise a dime for a building if people simply tithe. But that's the state in which the heart of the church of the nation, the U.S., is at this point. So you can't force that change. God has to do it. So then you're looking at it. How can, how can I do this? Well, we start looking at 10,000 or 11,000 square feet would end up, and you start trying to place classrooms. Well, we're short on classrooms, so we need a few more. And, and Dave and some of you were in there, and Tim, and you know in that, in that meeting we're looking at, and we, we went through great pains doing this little shuffleboard thing with rooms trying to figure out how we would improve the ministry we're doing, make more room, and do it with 10,000 square feet. And we're in 3,900. That's more than double what we are now, and yet we're having trouble figuring out how that's going to work. So the people here, they've been working for a while, they're making progress, but you've got to remember where they're building, there used to be a temple far greater than the one they're building. We're told in Ezra, Ezra 3, 10 through 13, that when the foundation for the temple was laid, those who had seen the first temple wept and mourned because the new temple did not appear, appear as grand as the first. You can imagine, this isn't, you know, if a church burned, somebody had a great cathedral, and they didn't have enough insurance, and then the church burned, and so when they go back to build it, they don't have the resources they had before. And so they have to build something lesser. And the people that were there before and saw the glory of the previous cathedral would be mourning the fact that they can't have the same thing that they had before. What the people did not realize is that God does not measure success the way that man does. Though some of the people were discouraged, God was pleased. And here's, here's how we know that. Listen to what he said in Zechariah 4, verses 8 through 10. Then another message came from, to me from the Lord. Zerubbabel is the one who laid the foundation of this temple, and he will complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of heaven's armies has sent me. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. He's saying, don't fault the guy who is not doing the same job as the previous guy. Just be glad he's doing the work and he has a plumb line in his hand and he's getting it done. Because God's way of measuring success is not the same as ours. Often we become discouraged when we compare our service with the service of others. I have fell victim to that. As much as when I said I was a pastor, I was not like other pastors. I didn't come in wanting to be a pastor. I was doing it out of, you guys have heard this, I've done it out of, out of submission. Um, There's other things I was, I'd rather have been doing, but God uh, knocked me down some notches, and I, I came in humbly. And so when I went to pastor's meetings, they're all comparing notes. Well, we started this, or we did this, and, you know, and, and they're kind of comparing, and I just, hey, that's great. I'm just glad that, 
I'm just glad that our church hasn't fallen apart this week. I did good because we're still having service next week. That's my idea of success in the beginning. You know, I didn't screw it up so bad that everybody's left yet, so we're doing good. And so I didn't have that, but you know, it didn't take long till I'm over there with that group saying, oh yeah, William New Song, we, we did this or we did this. And then you, then you start saying I a little bit more. What's really ironic, I watched a movie with my family last night and it was one of those Christian movies where a pastor, a true story, was like a WWF wrestler or a championship wrestler and became a pastor. Maybe you've seen it. And so he goes to this small town where the church, they've got one guy with money trying to run the place, bad attitude. And I won't tell you the whole movie and spoil it, but, but the whole idea was is this pastor... His first, I don't know how many sermons, but it was kind of a joke in the movie. All he knew knew how to do was preach on faith. Had one little card, preach on faith. But God, in some strange and mysterious ways, and a little bit from his proceeds from him going back to wrestling and preaching too, um, provides for the church. And so we often become discouraged because we compare our service with others, and this is a direct result of pride. You look at, you look at it, at it and it seems that the church across town is having more success than yours. I've dealt with that with some other ministers too. We're comparing each other's works and, and getting jealous, letting pride get in the way. And you get discouraged. You compare your class with one down the hall and you feel like a failure and discouragement sets in. You learn that the person that sits across the aisle has led more people to the Lord than you and you get discouraged. We talked a lot about uh, Pastor Mickey and all the men he led to the Lord. And some of you are like, I've been asking God to help me to lead one person to the Lord in the last three years, and it hasn't happened. So we get discouraged. The person who has more time to volunteer gets a bigger applause than you, and you get discouraged. Someone gets more attention than you for their area of service, and you get discouraged. Here's the fact of the matter. The fact of the matter, God never called you to be a better preacher than someone else. He never called you to be a better teacher than someone else. He never called you to be a better singer, to be a better witness, to be a better anything than anyone else. We are not competing with each other in the kingdom of God. God has called you to serve in a specific place for a specific purpose. So many people get discouraged if they're not recognized and praised by their peers, and they get discouraged if they do not have success that others have. One thing I've noticed with me and, and social media is it's almost like a drug. You get those likes, you get this and that, and you feel like you've been approved. And it doesn't matter what you're saying. If you get approval, you feel like you've been validated. But that is, that is feeding something in us that the God does not want there. God does not want us to feed off the recognition of others. He wants us to feed off the servitude of serving Him, knowing that His idea of success is far different than this world's idea of success. You feel that no one sees your effort and no one cares. If you're doing the right thing for the right reason, if you're serving the Lord where He has called you to serve with the purpose of bringing Him glory, you can rest assured that God sees your effort. You may want to quit, but God's saying, don't stop now. Don't be discouraged. God sees your effort. As we move further into this, I want to encourage you by saying, don't give up. God provides strength. It seems that the people were growing weary from their labor for the Lord, and so God comes along with a simple message. He, he told everyone involved to be strong. Now, here's the thing. That's different than me just telling you to be strong. 
But when the God, the creator of the universe, the one who gives you your very breath says, be strong, you know that there's something behind it. It means that he's not telling you be strong unless he's planning to back you in that effort. I've heard people say God pays for what he orders. Haggai 2.4 Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord. And be strong, O Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest. And be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, at work and work. For I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. The government says they're going to take away Christianity. God says, be strong. The government says they're going to try to force immorality on you and where you go to the restroom. Be strong in the Lord, because he's with you. God wanted them to know that they were, he wanted them to know that they were tired, weary, and weak, and he was still with them. He didn't say, quit being tired, weary, and weak. He said, be strong. See, there's a different strength that God gives. It's funny, like Ken was saying, I can be tired in body. I can be tired emotionally. I can be tired mentally. But all of a sudden, a worship song comes on that stirs up the fire of the Holy Spirit in me. And tears begin to come. And while my body is tired, my mind is tired, all of a sudden, my spirit becomes strong. And you could come try to knock me over, but I'll just get up again. And that's the kind of strength that the Lord provides. When you labor for the Lord, you often find yourself in a weakened condition. We can become weak physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And many times we find ourselves at a point of weakness because we attempt to serve him on our own power. And if you attempt this, you will surely fail. You can't go lead somebody to the Lord when you haven't been on your, your knees or been in your prayer closet praying for them first and asking God to go with you and set that appointment. You can't ride on a worship song on the radio and think when you get to work that you're going to be able to withstand the temptation of the enemy to just digress and let him have his way. Whatever your calling, wherever you serve, always trust in God to guide you. Look to him for assistance. You need to complete the task that has been assigned. Trust him for the encouragement that you need to keep on keeping on. And God promised Israel that he was with them in verse 4. For I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. And as his children, we can claim that same promise. Remember what Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 3. Brethren, don't be weary in well-doing. Remember also what Jesus said in Matthew 28, 20, when he says, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. You know what's interesting about what was just around that passage that we just read? It says, when he says, lo, I'm with you always, even into the end of the world. Great commission. The Lord tells us to go out and make disciples. Baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see, he's saying that you aren't to do the ministry alone. You aren't to try to attempt it alone. Because he says, lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. That means he's with you. He never leaves you. The problem is sometimes we ignore him when he's trying to guide and direct us in the ministry you're doing, and then we try to do it on our own power. But we can rest in the promise that God is with us and he will provide us strength for the task at hand. But we have a responsibility as well. Knowing that he will strengthen us, we must continue to labor. Look at what he said to his people in verse 4. Work, work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. We're going to, when we're going through... Uh, when it's going to be a tough day, when we find ourselves at a point of weakness, in those times, we must look to God for strength 
and not use our weak state as an excuse to stop laboring for him. Don't stop now. Don't give up. God provides strength. I want to encourage you in another way. Don't be afraid. Fear is one of the fastest ways to kill your faith. It's allowing fear to creep in. Because God is in control. Verse 5, according to the word that I, I co- uh, covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you. Fear ye not, for thus saith the Lord of hosts. Yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens, the earth, the sea, the dry land, and I will shake all nations. And the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. What you've got to keep in mind, these people worked on this temple. They begin to examine the situation, and worry filled their minds. Why? Well, they were disappointed at the absence of the precious metals to adorn this temple. And this goes back to the fact that they were comparing this one to the first temple. You know, right now, in the land of Israel, the Muslims have, still have control of the, the Temple Mount. And it is right smack dab where the temple is to be rebuilt that Scripture foretells. All through history, the Jewish people have believed that the Messiah must come, not return. I'm talking about not Messianic Jews, but the Jewish people who believe that Jesus was a prophet, but not this, not, they don't even go with the New Testament. So these prophecies I'm talking about, they don't even put weight into. But they believe when the Messiah finally comes, that they would then begin to build that temple, rebuild it exactly like it is, go back to the animal sacrifices, go back to the way it was in the Old Testament. They would, they would have the priests, they do everything just like it was in Jesus' time. However, one of the big wars between Israel and the Muslim nations is control over that spot. And not many people know this because the Bible says we won't be paying attention to these things, but they have begun to, to, there's another Jewish sect now that says, you know what, we don't believe there's anything wrong with rebuilding now, and when the Messiah comes, it'll already be in progress or done. So they have already begun to create the ornaments and the, 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 the menorahs and all those things and all the things they'll need for that worship, and they begin training the priests in the old Levitical ways. It's happening right now. You can go on YouTube. You can watch it. They are in classes every day. They are learning. They are being trained up. This is a direct uh, fulfillment of prophecy. The only thing that needs to happen is for Israel to whip the, the Muslim nations, take control of the Temple Mount, destroy it, and begin to build the temple. But they are focused on that the temple must look like it used to look in Jesus' time. And Jesus told them that one day he would rebuild the temple, but he was talking about his temple, the spiritual temple, not that exact temple, that it, it didn't have to be that way. He's talking about himself. He was foretelling the fact that he'd go to the grave, but he'd raise again and the temple be rebuilt for us to have salvation. And this scripture ends there with, this silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. What he's telling them is, none of that stuff you find important really belongs to you anyway. Quit worrying about it. You need to focus on me. God again encourages people. First, he reinforced the fact that he was with them. Then he promises to one day fill his house with glory. Then he assures them that the silver and gold all belong to him through the resources, though they seem scarce to the people, God was not worried. 
And then God said that soon he would shake the heavens and the earth. Many times when we attempt to work for the Lord, the enemy will begin to fill our minds with excuses and tell us that the work is impossible. Satan will tell us that we do not have the knowledge to complete the task, and it's then that we must remember that God is all-knowing, and that's where we get our knowledge. Our adversary will then tell us that we cannot overcome the obstacles that stand in our way, and it's then when we must remember that God is all-powerful. And often, we're like Israel. We look at our resources and think that success is impossible, but just as he reminded his people back then, he is reminding us now that he owns it all. When we get ready to build this new worship center, I'm going to struggle, and I'll just let you know ahead, because it's just the nature of our sinful nature, but I'll be struggling with how are we going to pay for this. There's been pastors who have helped a church to build a big building, have a lot of debt, and then they can't handle the pressure to pay for that, and they leave, being led away to some other church. That's one thing Pastor Jonathan Watson and I talk about, that you know when you commit this to the Lord, He's going to provide a way to pay for it. You can't look at the natural and expect that everything's going to make sense on paper, that God's economy is different. During a special, especially trying time in the work of the China Inland Mission, Hudson Taylor wrote to his wife and he said, we have 25 cents and all the promises of God. Friend, we may not have much according to the world standard, but we have all the promises of God. And if you look at the task that has been assigned to you and the resources seem scarce, scarce, remember that you serve the one who owns it all. If fear has gripped your mind and that fear is causing you to consider quitting on the Lord, God will tell you today, stop it. Don't stop now serving him. Don't fear. God is in control. I have one final word of encouragement for you today. Don't look back. God has a greater plan. The glory of God, the glory of his latter house, verse 9, shall be greater than the one of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. How much is peace worth to you today? Let me ask you, how did you sleep last night? What's troubling your heart? What's going on in your family and relatives? What's going on in your job? What's going on in your own spirit? Are you worn with pornography or or drugs, or whatever. Blow your mind how many people may sit by you in a church service or work with you at work who are dealing with all kinds of things that you have no idea what they're struggling with. But let me ask you something for yourself. How much is peace worth to you? Because verse 9 says, The glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. You know whose house he's talking about? Yours. In your spirit. But you gotta quit looking at what you don't have. You gotta quit looking back at the past and wishing you could relive the glory days. You gotta quit worrying about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Though the people were discouraged by the sight of the new temple, God promised them that the glory of his new temple would be greater than the first one. Israel would never be able to move forward for the Lord as long as they looked in the past. This is the case for us as a church. As, an, as individuals, and our church has a rich heritage that we will explore more about on Father's Day. But God has used this place, New Song, to do some amazing things over the past eight years. But if we spend our time gazing into the past, the future will pass us by. 
We can praise God for what he has done, but we must set our sights on what he wants to use us to do in our, our future. Some of you were once devoted servants of the Lord, or maybe you are now, but in the past you, he used you to accomplish great things for him. But today, you look at your days looking back and what you've done instead of working for God in the present. When you live in the past, it will always hinder your progress. Church, our past may have been good, but God says the future is going to be better. And I will tell you that what I have to tell you next week that you need to be here for is because God is continually, at the drop of the hat, without me even thinking about it, and very quickly bringing things to me that he shows me is going to be one of the most powerful things that we'll ever do. And that happens as soon as one's done, he brings something else and says, this is the greatest thing you'll ever do. And then this is the, you know, I've been on this high about the uh, Hispanic church starting up and never anticipated that God was going to sock me in the gut with something else that we'll talk about next week that's going to be just as instrumental in growing the kingdom as what we're doing with the Hispanic work. Dear Christian, you may have been used in a mighty way in the past, but God has a job for you to do today. And there's some of you who will look to the past with regret but cannot change the past. But the future is filled with possibilities and opportunities. And God has a plan for your future, so don't look back. God has a greater plan. I told you, I'd, I'd tell you that this morning, I didn't want to tell you till the end, but this morning I uh, still came to the church, planned to be here by 5 a.m. because I was struggling, still no message, not knowing what God wanted me to do, and you know, in selfish pride, I'd want to not tell you that because I don't want you to look at me and think, man, this is our leader talking about last minute, talking about procrastination. But something happened this morning. That delayed me even more. And when I got here, I started reviewing of the thousands of sermons online. The very first one. The very first one that I had to just click on. Where it tied where we've been coming to where we're going, to even next week, to even what happened this morning. And I just bawled. Not only that, the love I feel from folks here. I came in and there's a hot coffee sitting on my desk with two creamers. Someone knows exactly what I like to drink. Things were in order here. All I had to do is go in and focus on what the Lord had. But let me tell you what happened to me this morning on the way to church when I was trying to be here early. I hit my snooze too many times and panicked as I got up. And I was thinking, I just, I need, I got to have hours, God, not minutes. I got to have hours to pull through today. I finally got around ahead of the door. I was like, God, I'm just going to have to do like I did when Mike Carroll, if you know the story, I took him to Teen Challenge recently. I told some of you the story about how I came into my office on Friday after a week where I couldn't get anything on my list done. And I said, God, you'll just have to show me what you want me to do today. I can't make this work. It's even supposed to be my day off and I'm here, but that's the way it goes. And in walks Mike Carroll, no shoes, two-week bender on alcohol, living in an abandoned house, hadn't eaten in a while, hadn't drank anything. And I hadn't seen him since November when I saw him walking on 279 between Centerton and Vaughn on the way in from my house. And I've told you a story. I argued with God about picking him up. 
And this morning as I was driving in the exact spot, the exact spot, because I'll never forget it, where I saw Mike, I just, as a blur went past, there was a young man walking with barefoot and a hat. Same pace, same body structure. I thought, oh, Lord, no. He quit the program. He's back here. He's heading back to the house. And honestly, I thought it was Mike. It's like, Lord, there's no way. I just saw him. There's no way. And I got down, I argued. I was like, that can't be him. And I'm arguing again with the Holy Spirit on the same patch of road I did with Mike. And so I whipped the van back around. I'm like, Lord, you know I've got to get there and get a sermon for this morning. I can't play around anymore. So I'm going to stop and check on this guy. That's all I'm going to do. And he's walking. I look, his feet look blistered. And so I offer him a ride. He gets in. He asks me, he's like, I need to go to Siloam, but just take me as far as you can go. And he tells me that he just got out of Benton County Jail and he was walking. And I thought, and I said, you know, I've heard that before. And he kind of looked at me and I said, no, you don't understand. I said, you are in the exact spot of another man who I just walked a journey with and began telling a story. And I just drove. And I just finally made a, I guess you could say a deal with the Lord. I said, Lord, I'll just go as far as the conversation goes and I'll keep driving. And he, he needed to go all the way to West Siloam Springs near the Oklahoma border. So we just talked. He shared with me how his dad was a believer, and I'm, he believes probably prayed for him, but he's just had all kinds of trouble, and his wife has left him. If you want to put a picture up, this one. I asked him permission to do this because but you see, when you offer yourself in a way that goes against logic and reason and your own schedule, then the Lord begins to commune with you real time in a way that you'll start to get addicted to. And I needed to drive to West Siloam as bad as this man needed to be picked up. And sitting in the driveway of a family's uh, residence, finally the walls broke and he began to break down and cry. And right there, led him in the sinner's prayer and he accepted the Lord. And the look you see on Chris's face there is not the look that he had for all that trip. It wasn't until he prayed that prayer that that smile and that gleam in his eye came over him. Scripture, we hear about the countenance of the Lord. And when someone truly accepts Christ, you see the countenance of the Lord's face. Will he struggle? I'm sure he will. He has my number, and I've told him just like I've told many men, day or night, you call me. I can't do that for everybody, but when God puts someone in my path like that, I have to make myself available. I've learned that. Church, I, I, I tell these stories a lot, and I'm, I fear that you probably think, well, this is just Pastor CJ, and oh, oh, that's great, and he's giving himself accolades. I hope you don't go there because I don't ever plan this. You see, I can't produce this. This is happening for me week after week, all the time. I don't even tell you some of the stories that happen just because we've got to talk about other things sometimes. But God is doing something. New Song was designed to reach, in all reality, what Pastor Jim designed New Song, what we bleed for is, is those 30 to 40-somethings, young families. That's really the heartbeat of where New Song was, a casual environment. There's all kinds of stuff in our vision. And we never really even thought of prison ministry or ministry to people with addictions or anything like that. That's never been the plan. At least our, not our plan, not mine. Not Pastor Jim's and Pastor Rogers. But there's a common denominator in our plan and God's plan is that's, that there are souls who need him. There are people who are separated from him and he just wants belonging with his people again. 
couple years ago, I mentioned about how God had kind of removed some scales from my eyes and I don't see people as believers and unbelievers anymore. I do in the fact that I can recognize when someone's a believer, but, but really I don't have any different compassion for the believer or unbeliever. I don't look at you guys and thank you God altogether. You can tell me things are fine and sometimes I know they're not. And that's okay, because that's the same way for me a lot of times. But this isn't meant to be just me. Now, I, don't tell, I tell Jen, you don't pick up these guys when you see them walking. God gave us a brain, common sense. You know? But if you start listening, if you start really working on that and saying, I'm not going to quit. God, I'm not going to quit until you do something miraculous in my life, until I see souls saved through, through my ministry. You have a ministry because there's people around you who need God. You get that? Your mission feels all around you. When you go to Bella Vista Assembly, when you leave their parking lot, there's a sign that says, welcome to your mission field. And that's the truth. We get caught up in our own wants and needs. You know, the things that we say and do sometimes, we just do flippantly. We don't think about where it lands or what happens with that. We don't think about our daily lives, the impact it has. But you know what? The more you submit yourself and say, you know what? It's worth giving up this for God. It's worth, it's worth submitting myself even though I don't understand to this. It's worth me being tired. It's worth me being worn out. It's worth all of that because I'm not going to stop because God will give me strength. And because of that, I'll be refueled because every time this happens, I don't come in on Monday saying I'm ready to quit. I say, God, if you keep doing this, I'm never going to look back. I may be in the jail once a week, but you know what? I so look forward to that hour or two hours a week because God has got those men in such a place that they're desperate. Yes, jailhouse salvations happen where it's kind of, you know, I'll do this, and then when I'm out and I'm okay, I'll do it. I know that. But then there's those who you can see the light, the spark in their eyes that Christ has truly taken hold of their life, and they'll never be the same. And I come back ready to do it over and over again. If you're worn out, if you feel like stopping, it's because you aren't allowing yourself to be used. These things will light you on fire. You'll be a believer like you've never seen before. And the new temple, because God says the new temple in you will be greater than the glory in the old one. It doesn't matter how much gold was there, doesn't matter how much money, how much position, how much power, whatever you had, this current temple will be greater in its glory because you were faithful and you didn't stop. Let's pray. Jesus. You don't need my words at this point. The Holy Spirit's already telling you what you need to do. So I'm just going to give us a moment to let us all hear from the Holy Spirit in each one of us.
Come on, you've got time. Find yourself a place. Find yourself a place. Get alone with him. This isn't me. There is nothing I can do to produce this morning the way I started out the day. The Holy Spirit has decided that, the Lord has decided that today you'd be confronted with the fact that you're looking back and you're comparing yourself and you're feeling defeated and you're wanting to quit. You just simply use my, my schedule this morning to get into the middle of yours. this call to ministry for 20 years because I had a dad that I didn't think I could ever measure up to. You've heard that. I didn't think I could ever do and, and be with the kind of integrity my dad had. But next week we're going to be focused on heritage and I've got to tell you that there's not, there's not hardly anything I could say is more orchestrated by God than that message for next week. And I don't even have it done. I just know God wants us to focus on the heritage that we're leaving for our kids. I'm only here, and my dad will sit and tell me all about all his failures and his struggles, but I'm only here because he was faithful. Just day in, day out, he got up, put on his clothes like everybody else, went out the door, trusting God that he was going to lead and guide him. He's told me stories of board members getting in his face, red face, telling him that they're going to run him out of town. He's told me stories of going into church with all kinds of immorality going on that he didn't know about until God revealed to him in the middle of the night. Story after story, and no church is different. I, I'm not stupid. I know that we've got struggles going on in our church. But as much as it is for me, it's for our kids. That we leave the church church across this world we leave it in the hands of our kids with a heritage that they know to carry on it's loving God loving people and seeing the kingdom built amen I love y'all be here next week it'll be important I, I hope if you've already made plans you got that you're I, I understand we're not gonna you're not gonna hurt my feelings because of that I'm just saying don't stay in bed if you're here and you're able to be here be here at New Song it'll be a big day next week God's got some great things for us. Amen. Love y'all. Have an awesome Sunday.